You're listening to Fish Food, where we present bite-sized accounting and entrepreneurship advice in 25 minutes or less. Keep listening for interviews, guidance, and resources for freelancers and small businesses. And if you enjoy, rate and subscribe to let others know about the gym you found. Now, let's get started. Hello, and welcome to Fish Food. So excited to have you here. We have so much overlap between the accounting and law field that I wanted to make sure that we had a resource to really speak from the legal perspective on a lot of things that you all ask us. So today we have Christine from the DC Bar Pro Bono Center, who you'll find later, or will be able to answer questions from people across the country. And I will let Christine introduce herself and what she does. Hi, I'm Christine Kulamani. I'm a staff attorney with the DC Bar Pro Bono Center. All right, so tell us a bit about the DC Bar Pro Bono Center. What do you do and who do you serve? So the DC Bar Pro Bono Center is a legal services provider that serves the District of Columbia. I work in our nonprofit and small business legal assistance programs. And through these programs, we provide legal advice, information, education, and online resources to small businesses and nonprofits in the DC metro area. Okay, that is a lot. And I'm sure that we come across a lot of the same types of clients. And so my question, which I may already know the answer to is, what do people ask most often? Most small business owners, when they come to us, ask, how should I start my business? Should I be an LLC? Should I be a corporation? Or they ask, is this a good idea for a business? Yeah, I'm, it's interesting the, the job that they're trying to get you to take on there, where they're like, is this a good idea? Should I start this? And it's like, I help you build it. I don't know, like the, the marketing and the audience for this and all of those. But do you find that what they're asking for lines up with what they actually need? Like I find, for example, people will come to us and say, I need to know when I can quit my job. And I'm like, but your real question is, how do you track the information so that you know whether the business is profitable to do that? And so when people are coming to you and saying, hey, how do I get started? Which business type should I pick? Is that usually the question that you need to answer for them? Sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. Oftentimes, instead of telling them, this is what you should pick based off of what you want to do with your business, it's more explaining what running different business entities and also types of businesses in DC takes. You know, do you need to register with the government? Do you need to get licenses and permits? And how realistic are all of these different steps and legal responsibilities with the amount of time that they're willing to put into their business and the amount of money they're willing to put in? Oh yeah, I feel like they don't think about that all the time. Clients will often just be like, oh, I'll just do it. And it's like, ah, this might take a little bit more than you were willing to put in. Are you sure that this is the direction that you want to take? Exactly. It's an investment. I mean, starting a small business at every level is an investment of time, of money, of you know, emotion and effort. And you have to kind of figure out where it all lines up to meet your needs. It might not be the perfect is perfect, but you have to make it work somehow. Okay, so we'll talk about all of the different business entity types in a second, but as an overall kind of umbrella uh, sense of advice, what are the things that all of these have in common when it comes to starting your business? What's really important when starting your business, no matter what, 
is do everything right from the beginning and understand what you're doing and the implications. Make sure all of the paperwork is correct and that you know what it says and you're planning for when things go wrong or they end. We don't wanna think about that. We hope the business will last forever. And if you're going into it with someone else that you know they'll be your best friend and it'll be perfect. But from the legal side of things, we wanna plan for the worst case scenario and set you up for success from the beginning. We say the same thing on the accounting side and a question that we get asked a lot that I will bring to you here is when is the right time to hire or to seek legal advice? It's never too early to talk to a lawyer, especially if you're going through the DC Bar Pro Bono Center, it's free. So you don't need to worry about that. But really there is no time that's too early to talk with a lawyer because they'll help you strategize and make the right decisions for your business and help you avoid mistakes. Um, there's this sense that you go to lawyers when you have a problem, but legal advice can be really, really preventative. And I think that you know, getting in people's mindsets, talking with a lawyer doesn't mean you have a problem. It doesn't mean you wanna sue someone. It really, it's a good thing, it's a positive thing. And in terms of hiring a lawyer, once your business is established enough that you have legal matters, that you're regularly talking to a lawyer about and it's important that they kind of understand your business and have background information, that's when you really want to find somebody good within your price range and that understands, you know, your business type and your industry properly. All right. So when you say that it's preventative, because as y'all might have guessed, we have a lot of things in common when it comes to accounting and law, because that happens with us too, where people assume that they need to come to us when they need financial statements or when they're behind on taxes. And anytime in between that, they can just kind of do it themselves. What do you find is, or are the major things that people come to you with when they haven't chosen a lawyer at the beginning and they're kind of coming to you after they've done those first couple steps themselves or been working at it at a DIY rate when by the time they get to the DC Bar Pro Bono Center, what have you found are the most common issues that they're running into? We see a lot of either LLCs or partnerships where things have soured between people and they don't have a partnership or an operating agreement. And so there's no way to divide up the business or pay back one person who wants to leave. You know, maybe they're suing over recovering equipment or who gets to keep the business name, how much to sell shares for, how to assess that. Um, maybe there's nothing on paper saying one person owns X percent of the business and another person owns another X or who gets to make decisions. And those are all really fundamental to a business running both and closing. Yeah, people don't think about it at the beginning because to your point, they're like, it works. And they're just checking boxes of like, we have to set up a business, check. We have to get a account, potentially check and not thinking about, but like, what is the foundation, the legal foundation for how this business runs? Yeah, and it's tough because some of these steps that are best practices to set yourself up legally for success aren't legal requirements. And so there's no 
you know, you go on the Secretary of State or the DCRA website and they say, you know, register, get your licenses, get your permits, do this and do that. And that's what the law requires, but there really is more that you should do. And, you know, trying to get that information gap filled so that we have fewer small businesses coming to us with these problems is something that, you know, I really like to do and focus on. I would rather talk to you early on and get you off on the right foot, but I will talk to you if things go sour too. Yeah, and I think that's the important part is thinking about best practices. This idea that like, even if no one is making you do it, it is gonna make your life easier down the line or as you're running your business in the event that anything comes up. And I'm sure that a lot of small businesses just think right now, I just have to get the stuff that they say I have to do out of the way, not really realizing that that may or may not be sufficient to hold them down later on. Definitely. All right. So before we move to the business entity types, I was just wondering from a solo perspective, because I know that there are a lot of people who are listening who don't have partners, who are maybe one person entities, may or may not have contractors or employees. What do you find is the biggest struggle with them when they have to come and seek law law help? I think, you know, there are a few things. First of all, is the struggle of just understanding the difference between this one individual who's an owner operator of a small business and their business itself, both from the legal perspective, you know, that they, unless they're a sole proprietor, are in the eyes of the law, a separate person than their business, um, but also kind of this emotional attachment to it, that there are situations where it's less about, you know, the owner's emotions and more about, you know, this is an objective decision that needs to be made. And, you know, the law may have guidance on what it should be, even if it's not what you like. Ah, Yeah, because small business owners think that they're their babies. And so they're like, I want to handle it this way. And I want you to just figure out a way that I can have it my way. Exactly. And sadly, that's not how it works. (laughs) All right. So let's dig into the meat of the different um, business entity types. Why I would let you start with kind of giving a sense of the top basic business entity types that small businesses are usually running into. So, you know, the most simple basic is being a sole proprietor. A sole proprietorship really is just somebody who starts a business. Doesn't have to be anything formal. It might not even be on purpose, right? You may be painting for a hobby and start selling them or baked goods. It really is just, you are the business in every sense of the word as the owner. And that's good and that's bad. It's good because, right, like you get full control. But also, if you have a higher risk business or depending what you do, because there's no legal separation between the owner and the business itself, the owner is completely and personally liable for all of the debts and obligations of the business, right? Like if somebody comes to your bakery and slips and falls or gets sick from something that you made in your kitchen then you sold and they sue you, that's your home, your car, your bank account. There's no separation. Um, And same with, you know, if you take out a loan for the business or you rent out some space at, a co-working spot and the business isn't making enough money to pay for it 
and isn't, they'll come after you as the owner. And that's, uh, it's tough. Yeah, very much so. Okay, so sole proprietorships, type one. Yes. Next most popular and the most popular overall is an LLC, a limited liability company. And this is a very flexible business entity type. And one of the great things about it is it can have one owner, can have two owners, it can have five owners. The owners can change. You can structure it how you want. And because the LLC is its own legal person in the eyes of the law, as long as you run it properly, which has both legal and accounting aspects, you will not as an owner or what we call a member be held personally liable for the debts and actions of the business. So, you know, if it's higher risk or the business is growing and you want to shield yourself, you want to take out some debt or, you know, any risk really, if you can afford the money and the time to set up your LLC, you can make anything you want out of it and get a lot of protection. There's a good reason that it's so popular and it's relatively easy to set up. Again, there's best practices and legal requirements, especially if it's a one person, single member LLC. You draft an operating agreement that talks about how things are handled and it's relatively simple. You can have a lawyer look over it, come to the pro bono center and it would be free and you're good to go. You just follow you know, some of the basic legal and accounting requirements you keep up with it. And as your business grows and changes, you can bring on more owners. Maybe some of them will leave. Maybe you'll get some investors. It can change and grow with you, which is something that, you know, a sole proprietorship can't do. That's just one person. It can only be one person. Sole. <laughs> okay. So we've got sole proprietor and LLC. What is another popular business entity type that people do? A popular, though it should be unpopular, business type are partnerships. This is like a sole proprietorship with two or more people. Okay. Just and why do you say it should be unpopular? Partnerships generally, in my experience, have very few benefits. They're pretty disastrous. And I mean, yes, you have another person's work, another person's money funding the business. But you're also legally responsible for decisions related to the business that that other person makes. So if they go and buy a car under the business name, you could be in big trouble having to pay for that. And there's no special tax benefits. You're just taxed as a partnership. It, you know, there's, there's nothing special or unique about it. And to set up a partnership properly you're going to want a written partnership agreement kind of outlining the relationship between the two or more partners. But the time and effort and money that that takes, you could just spend setting up a multi-member LLC and getting a good operating agreement. And you would be taxed the exact same, the relationship between you would be the same, but there would be limited liability protection. And you personally aren't responsible for any stupid decisions that someone else makes. So why do you think that people make partnerships as opposed to LLCs, given that 
one seems so obviously better for them than the other? I think sometimes business partnerships start unintentionally. Two people with an idea and they just run with this business idea without thinking that they're necessarily forming a business entity or doing anything formal. It just evolves. They never say, let's run this business together and have a partnership. It just naturally happens. Other times, you know, folks will form a partnership knowing what's going to happen and that, you know, they're making a legal entity, they're starting together. But they think since they don't have to register with the government, that it's less expensive, that it's easier. And it could be less expensive, but if you do it the right way, not really. It should be about the same. Yeah. Okay. So the next one that I just want to briefly talk about before we start digging into the comparisons of the two, it's a misnomer to call it a business entity type because it's really just a tax election, but people always want to know about the S-Corp. What does that mean legally and um, how are those formed? Yes. So you're right. An S-Corp is not an entity type. It's a tax election that you make with the IRS. Um, and it's a little confusing for an LLC to get there, but you can. Um, an LLC first would elect to be taxed as a corporation with the IRS. And after they do that, they would then, if they're eligible, file to be taxed as an S corporation, meaning that instead of double corporate taxation, they go back to the default pass-through taxation on their individual tax return that an LLC had from the beginning. But S-Corps, in order to qualify, there are some requirements that you have to keep up with to meet the IRS requirements. So there's limits on who the shareholders can be, which is one of the big things. Also, there are limits on how many owners you can have, um, which it's 100. So not as big of a deal here, (laughs) but it's something to think about if your business is changing and evolving and the ownership is morphing. S-corp taxation may not be easy to maintain, but folks like it because, right, you still have limited liability, you have the taxation you want, um, but as an owner operator, instead of being self-employed, like you are as an LLC member, you can be an employee of your business, get benefits. Um, you know, instead of paying all of the FICA taxes yourself, the business, even if it is you, is paying half, and you, as the employee, are paying half. Um, and there's times where that can be really beneficial, um, or th- folks who need health insurance, who want to be able to set up retirement accounts as an employee. But it's really a sophisticated legal move to make, and I would not recommend it for brand new, first-time small business owners just starting out. There are elections that you can make down the line, and I wouldn't say, like, don't start out with that as your goal immediately. Work your way up. Okay, that's a really good point, and we're definitely going to get into that because people ask us all the time, like should I be an S-corp right now? And I'm like, there are some things that we should talk about. We have a, um, 
a podcast episode about S-Corps. I'll make sure that that's in the show notes. We will dig into all of the things S-Corp related, but the main thing to take from here is it is not a thing you need to do initially. There are some complications that come with it that are bigger than just being a sole proprietor or an LLC. So don't jump into business. I, I find that a lot of people have come to us that have come from lawyers or accountants who push them into S-Corp status too fast who are basically like, it's a tax benefit. So we're just going to sign you up for it now. And we're remiss in letting them know these other ramifications that you're an employee, that you need to pay yourself, that there are these restrictions around your shareholders and that they're not telling them that they're just filling out the form. And then suddenly they're an escort. Yeah. And I mean, part of that is, I think is always who are you talking to? Who are you getting advice from? Are they somebody that understands what it means to be a small business owner or the needs of small business owners? Or do they just think business? Um, uh, and yeah. as you know, Keila, there's a huge difference in you know catering to small business needs like we do and lawyers and accountants who aren't used to that. And they, you know, what may be possible for more sophisticated businesses, aka folks with a ton of money and unlimited people power just isn't realistic or practical for a small business. Makes sense. All right. So we're going to go backwards a little bit because there are two questions that we always get asked. The first one is when should I move from a sole proprietor to an LLC? When would it be beneficial for me to do so? As soon as you can, I would switch from a sole proprietorship and form an LLC because you have that limited liability protection, which is huge. You are not personally responsible for things of the business. And there's no, some people are concerned, oh, if I'm an LLC, it will hurt my tax status. Not true. It is the exact same as being a sole proprietor <laughs> if it's one person owning exactly. an LLC. Exact same. But I think also, you know, as soon as you can, means a little bit of a financial piece because mm -hmm. to form an LLC, you do have to register with the government and you're going to have to keep up that registration. In DC, it's every two years. Some places it's every year. It just depends where you are. Um, but then there's also, like I mentioned, the money that it takes to get a good operating agreement. But as soon as you can protect yourself, protect your business, it also allows you it does provide some legitimacy to small businesses, particularly to, you know, less so customers sometimes, but banks, um, you're able to bring yeah. on investors when you have an LLC. As a sole proprietorship, you're the one owner. People aren't going to want to give you money if they can't get a piece of the business. And with an LLC, they give you money and you give them a tiny piece of the business even if that tiny piece comes along with no decision-making authority. Yeah, that's super important. And I think a lot of people, to your point about partnerships, they start sole proprietorships that they're just like, I just happened to start a business. I started selling stuff and now I am in business. And so not really thinking about the business entity type is something that they actually need to be intentional about selecting, but more that like, I'm in business now and I will just make money and do things until it's required for me to do something else. So I think it's important to point out that the LLC really is one of the first legitimacy steps that you can take, but also that it doesn't seem like there's 
really any situation where it would be more beneficial for you to say, stay a sole proprietor unless it's uh, a financial commitment. Yeah, I mean, there really isn't. You know, you still, other than registering with the government, you're taking all of the exact same steps, right? You have to pay taxes. You have to, if it's applicable where you are, get a business license or, you know, get permits if you want a space. You're going to need to have some way for people to contact you in an official capacity. It is literally all the exact same. Um, and if you're a sole proprietor and you want your business to have a business name that isn't your personal name as the owner, you have to register a trade name or a fictitious name, a DBA with the government. That costs money to maintain too. Yeah. Form an LLC with the legal name being the business name. Maybe it costs a little more, but either way, you're going to be paying some money. So get yourself some legal protection while you're at it, if you can. Okay, that makes perfect sense. And thank you for clearing that up. So then we have the next level, which is the next question that we get all of the time. When should I move from an LLC to an S Corp? And some of this is a tax question. Um, we've kind of thrown out different revenue standpoints that you should be looking at before it makes sense to kind of incorporate all of the things that it takes to be an escort. But from a legal standpoint, when would you recommend that people start thinking about making the switch from an LLC to being taxed as an escort? From a legal perspective, unless there's a specific reason that you want or need to be taxed as an escort, you never need to think about it. It can just be something out there that people do because legally it doesn't change things, right? It just puts some restrictions on who can own your business and what you can do. But if for some reason, right, it's important or necessary that an owner is also an employee. But yeah, practically and legally, it's just going to be based on these other factors. Um, there's no, when you get to, you know, special responsibilities come up. I mean, you just have to be more sophisticated, but that's not, that comes along with everything as your business grows, right? Can you handle the changes in accounting that come along with it? Like you mentioned, um, and you're going to want a lawyer to talk with you or help you as you do it. But unless you have a compelling reason to change your tax status for some other reason, whether it's personal accounting and financial, there's no legal reason to do it. Um, and some folks see it as kind of a way to grow. But if you're really looking to grow your business and you want it to be more formal, getting S-corp status and changing your taxation isn't the way to do it unless you're going to be a corporation and then change that tax status. But that's a whole, whole really crazy other world. Yeah, and we are not going to get into that for y'all today because most of you that doesn't apply to you, you're probably not even looking for that. But it's worth repeating that an S-Corp is a tax election and not a business entity type, which is really why this response makes so much sense. That really the main thing is it will change your taxability. It changes how you're treated as an owner to an employee because you have to pay yourself a reasonable salary get payroll taxes taken out, all of that. You're able to deduct some things on the 
S-Corp side that you don't automatically get as a self-employed person, and it has a separate tax return. So even though it's a pass-through entity, it has its own return. And once that ends up on your personal return, it has a different kind of taxability to it. So I say all that to say a lot of people will come and say, I want to be an S-Corp. You do not become an S-Corp. You become an LLC or a corporation or a partnership, and then you elect to have your business treated as an escort for tax purposes only. So just keep that in mind as you're thinking through whether or not this is even an option that you want to take advantage of, that it is not a legal entity that's being set up for you. And most of this time, this conversation is going to come more from your accountant and then your accountant just telling you that you need to do it and your lawyer may be doing the paperwork, then your lawyer telling you whether or not you should be an escort. Exactly. And you know, from my point of view, this is something that a lot of times small business owners come to the pro bono center with as an idea. It's very, very rarely organically recommended by a lawyer when they're meeting with a small business. And I think that just mirrors what you were saying, Keila. you know, kind of an anecdotal from my perspective. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. And I appreciate hearing that because I feel like I've heard the other side where they're like, well, my lawyer told me I should be. I was like, why are they telling you that? (laughs) Why, Why would they be giving you this advice? It's only for taxes. So one of the other thing that comes up, which is helpful, Christine, that you work with nonprofits and small businesses is that I have heard from small businesses galore that they want to become nonprofits. I have explained in my words why going from a for-profit to a nonprofit is probably not what they want to do, but can you briefly outline the differences between the two and kind of what the difference between what's required of you being a for-profit business versus a nonprofit for those that are trying to make a decision between the two business types? Yeah. So, you know, the number one difference, people don't want to hear this, a nonprofit does not have an owner. Just because you found a nonprofit, just because you're the executive director, you're the chair of the board of directors, you do not own the nonprofit. It is a public institution or, you know, like it's for the public good and public benefit. The board of directors, which can't just be you as one person, is in charge of the nonprofit. And you may at some point not be involved with the nonprofit anymore, even if you really want to be. And that's, you know, important to remember. You cannot cling on to it forever. You don't own it. You don't get to make every decision for it. And that's tough. I mean, right, people have it like a baby, like their small business. Um, But you have to remember, you don't get to own it. And I think that's something that's the biggest difference from the get-go. In addition, you know, the like you mentioned, the responsibilities of the two are pretty different. Um, So as a for-profit business, there's some regulations and laws and things you have to follow, but for the most part, it's pretty easy. For a nonprofit, after you incorporate your nonprofit corporation, you then apply to the IRS for tax-exempt status you have to go through an affirmative process. It's not automatic. Ah. And it can be a lot of paperwork, a lot of time. And most important is it's not just an idea that you think is good or helps people or nonprofit in the sense of the business won't be making money. You have to have a charitable 
educational type of purpose. It's called an exempt purpose to be exempt under um, 501c3 of the tax code. And that's what we typically think of for nonprofits. Right. This exempt purpose. And even if the IRS says, yes, you have an exempt purpose, your bylaws are proper, you've taken all these steps, once you get your tax exempt status, the IRS puts more restrictions on you. <laughs> I know. It just keeps on coming. You don't pay taxes, but they still control you. Funny how that happens. So first, you cannot engage in political activity. That's really important under 501c3. In addition, no conflicts of interest. This means that, you know, and this is something we see a lot with um, nonprofit founders or board members that also have a similar affiliated small business is you can't just use the nonprofit providing services to your small business to fund your small business. Right. And conflicts of interest run pretty deep. They're not the end of the world. There's ways to handle them, but you really have to be careful. And sometimes it's hard when you're so emotionally attached to the nonprofit. And if you have a small business that goes with it. You also have to file what's called a Form 990 every year as a nonprofit. And that's a public disclosure that the IRS makes available. Also, the public can come to the nonprofit or put it on their website, um, showing, you know, what came in, what did they spend, who are the board members, how much time did they, you know, spend on the nonprofit, who are the highest paid employees of the business or the nonprofit, and how much do they make. Did you hire fundraising consultants? How much did you pay them? And nonprofits also, if they have non-exempt purpose program related activities, they might have to pay taxes on that. So uh, that's a good point. Cause I think people assume if I have a nonprofit and it makes money automatically, none of it will be taxed. And that's not true. It's going to depend how you make the money. And then you have state and you know, state attorneys general, attorneys generals that, you know, also regulate nonprofits. And so you have to follow whatever rules they set out to make sure that you're being the proper, proper type of nonprofit corporation in the state or um, jurisdiction that you're in. So while a nonprofit might seem like, oh, it's easier to get money, it's better, it's interesting, it's a lot, a lot of work. If you think that having a small business is a lot of work, a nonprofit oftentimes is going to be even more. That's really good to know because I know a lot of small businesses who I think just probably want the tax exempt status are like, I could just basically convert it and not really understanding the ways in which one, all of the things that you listed out, but also like the ability for them to earn money. Like they they can't just sell things and call it a nonprofit, which I don't, I think a lot of people take for granted. Yeah. And, you know, this thought of, I have this small business, I'm just going to convert to a nonprofit, get my tax exempt status. It's not that simple. When you apply for tax exempt status, one of the questions that the IRS asks is, have you been a for-profit before? Ah. Saying yes is not a death sentence. But is there a compelling reason 
or is it really that you're just trying to avoid paying taxes? Right. The IRS, they can be slow, but they've got some built in parameters to make sure that you're not taking advantage of the system. So y'all have heard all of that. Keep it in mind, especially as you're asking your accountants and lawyers whether or not you should quote convert. I put that in quotes because you don't just convert, like you start a nonprofit that you basically start using instead of your for-profit business. So everybody, please don't do that. <laughs> All right. So as we're wrapping up today, because we have so much overlap between lawyers and accountants, I'd love to get your thoughts on the difference between the types of questions that someone would ask their lawyer versus what they would ask their accountant. Yeah. So some questions are going to be things that you ask both people. And that may be annoying, but that's the reality. And you know, which business entity is best for me is going to be one of those. Another question that's going to be one of those is how do I pay myself? The legal component of that is what business entity type are you? But the accounting perspective of that is how much can I pay myself and how does that look? How often is it? Is it structured, you know, in a certain way because we have enough money flowing through the business or is it a salary? Um, some things that you're going to want to ask a lawyer, not an accountant, are going to be to review legal documents for you. So sometimes there are contracts and in there, it may say you as the business are responsible for your own taxes. We will not pay any for you. These are not reimbursable expenses and things that sound a little accounting-y. Those are lawyer questions because they're part of a contract. Similarly, or but on the opposite side, if you have questions about certain expenses and whether or not they're deductible expenses, or you know, if you can find a way to structure them that way, there are tax attorneys that can help you with that. But for most small businesses, that's going to be an accountant question. And really anything that's directly tied to the business's finances that's going to be, at least to begin with, an accountant question. Because the law, it has, I mean, it's based on what the law says and less about the circumstances and the financial backing of your business. And so you want to say, okay, from an accounting perspective, what makes sense? And then you talk to the lawyer after you talk to your accountant and say, does this fit within the realm of, you know, what laws my business needs to follow? what my structure looks like. So for example, in operating agreements for LLCs, they'll say, this is our tax year. This is our fiscal year. And they may ask a lawyer what that should be. Lawyers will say, it doesn't matter. It's 12 months. Right. But that may be a question you talk with your accountant about so that there's timing of when you file your tax returns. Does it work better for you? Does it line up with the cycles of maybe when you regularly get funding from certain sources, um, if you provide services seasonally? But those are things that your accountant's going to know. The lawyer is going to say, I don't know. I don't care. I'm just going to write it in here in the proper way for you once you decide. 
Okay, that all makes sense and lines up with what I would say. There's a lot that there's going to be overlap. It's really important that you have both on your team, an accountant and a lawyer, because we meet different needs and there will be times where there, um, as Christine said, will be something that you ask both of us and we're speaking to from separate lenses, but having an accountant and a lawyer to be able to respond to your your questions about your business finances, your business contracts, your business partnerships, all of that stuff is really going to be important for you to not DIY, that you do not start from a place of I will just Google it and figure it out. I am a huge fan of YouTube University. This is not one of those areas where I would encourage you to go to get information. So knowing that DC Bar Pro Bono is such an excellent resource for people to be able to take advantage of, for one, like Christine has told y'all, it's free. So like having access to it when you have legal questions is amazing. Can you tell people a bit about how they can take advantage of the services, sign up to work with you all, and what they can expect? Yeah, so you can find all of our resources and links to sign up for our different brief legal advice opportunities online at lawhelp.org slash DC slash CED, lawhelp.org slash DC slash CED. Um, and you know, depending on what type of different opportunity or training, it'll vary. So right now we have written resources and guides. We have archived trainings and webinars and some podcasts. We also have ongoing, you know, different new webinars and trainings. And so you can sign up for those on there, um, you know, see, okay, what's coming up? Am I interested? And once you sign up for those, you'll get on our mailing list. You also can look on our website and there's a listing of all of our different brief legal advice opportunities. So do you just kind of generally need to talk with a lawyer? Do you need employment law advice, contracts advice? And for those, you click to sign up, generally speaking, you fill out a form. And once we have an opening for you to chat with a lawyer, we email you, we schedule it, and you'll either chat with them right now, since you know with the pandemic, we're all working remotely on Zoom, on telephone, You'll generally chat for about an hour after the fact, if there are any notes that the lawyer took for you or resources, um, they'll give them to the pro bono center and we'll pass them along to you. And it's that simple. If you want to come back, you can come back as frequently as you want or need, um, you know, for same legal topic, different things. Um, we're really able to help with all types of business legal matters other than business immigration. So one day you might want to talk about, you know, picking a business name and if it infringes on somebody else's trademark. And then a different day, you might want to review a contract. And then you might want to, you know, figure out drafting up an employment agreement. And so depending what you need, we're going to kind of figure out what's right for you, get you chatting with the right lawyer that has that background. And we try, you know, we're a small team. We work with small businesses and nonprofits, and we really try to remember in everything we do, who we're helping and how we can do that best. You know, we try not to be overly formal or unnecessarily difficult to deal with. And if you're a small business and you're coming to the pro bono center, 
at some point you will be in touch with me. And so don't worry, we will take care of you. We do our best to you know, address everyone's needs, do it in a timely manner and make it easy. I mean, nobody wants to deal with bureaucracy, difficult, unnecessary emails. Right. Let's just get you what you need, get your business on its way. And is this only available to folks in DC? This is not only available to DC. So while we're called the DC Bar Pro Bono Center, the nonprofit and small business program is able to help small businesses elsewhere. We work with a lot of businesses in Maryland and Virginia also. If you're somewhere other than that, just be aware that you know the attorneys on staff, myself included, and our volunteers are licensed to practice law in DC. They may not have specific information about laws that apply to your business in Texas or in Wyoming. Um, so they can give you general information and general legal advice. But if you're not from the DC area, it's not going to be as specific and targeted. You know, and some of our resources on our website also, they're focused on DC laws, you know, changes to DC. Um, and just know that you probably, if you're not, if you're in California, you don't need to read that. Don't waste your time unless you just want to learn stuff. That's really good to know. I know we have um, listeners across the country. So knowing that they have access to you as a resource, um, even if they won't get as state specific information, I think will be really helpful for them. So yeah, thank you very much for coming on. We definitely appreciate you. For listeners, we'll make sure that we have um, links provided in the show notes so that you can click directly to go get support. And we highly encourage you to take advantage of the DC Bar Pro Bono Center so that they can help you with free legal advice on things that we as small businesses are all dealing with. So thank you very much, Christine, for coming on. Thank you for having me, Keila. No problem. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, there's good news. We've got additional free resources for you to get clear on your small business finances. Subscribe to our bi-weekly newsletter by heading to littlefishaccounting.com slash subscribe and check us out on Instagram at littlefishaccounting.